Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and of course, Electable is sponsored by the Indiana Women's Action Movement. And today, this is what we're going to be talking about, the Indiana Women's Action Movement uh, and other efforts to get more Democratic women elected to the Indiana State Legislature. And of course, I'm happy to have with me Mary Noon, who is the board chair for Indiana Women's Action Movement and who I work with all the time and uh, it's just a great pleasure. So Mary, tell us a little bit about yourself first before we really dive into this. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation because it's it's the work we've been up to since the ballots were cast on November 3rd and we're continuing the work. So um, a little bit about myself. I came here from Boston, Massachusetts. And when I came to Indiana, I was like many people working in a job. And prior to the pandemic, I decided eh, it wasn't the right fit for me. And during that one month transition before I started my next job, I started working on the Indiana Biden campaign for the grassroots organization here in Indiana. Um, never look back. Um, I truly feel that trajectory in life, um, the various experiences had led me to this point where putting all the pieces together, because when I look back at my early journeys in college, it was political science. And I always had that vision of ending up in DC and working in politics, um, but not knowing where to start. And, but I also feel the path that I have taken is really giving me all the breath and experiences to add it to the fight that we're in here in Indiana and, and, and advocating for women. That's awesome. And so, um, and so it was just a great um, opportunity for me to work with you. And, you know, uh, we moved our, uh, our previous organization, 25 Women for 2020, into Indiana Women's Action Movement um, with the same goals um, to get more Democratic women elected to the Indiana State Legislature. Uh, and also, we expanded our mission to really address uh, the problems that we learned uh, yeah. last year. Um, one of those being uh, the lack of great grassroots level work in the Democratic Party um, yes. uh, for to help get those candidates elected. So first of all, let's talk about, you know, why is this important? Why is it important to get more women elected to the Indiana State Legislature? Tell us your thoughts. Oh, where to start? I think I can, you yeah. know, Put a pause on that and everybody, you know, put a pause on your life for now. We can talk about it all day. Um, representation matters. Um, right now, currently in the state legislation, legislator, 25% is the number in terms of representation for women. And that's both Democrat and Republican. 51% of the population is in women is women in Indiana. And you can see the huge discrepancy. So representation does matter because the issues that the current legislation is bringing up is not issues that really affect families, affect health insurance and felt childcare, issues that really women have a, a firsthand experience and can bring light to. What you see now is you see our legislators bringing up legislator, that legislation that was written by ALEC, a, a, a nonpartisan organization that's over here writing legislation in regards to cookie cutter legislation permanent carry uh, gun laws. They are passing, they had a hand, I'm in terms of helping write SB8 that's down in Texas. So we need that to stop. We need legislation to be written by citizens of our state of Indiana, not by a think tank sitting in Washington DC and really diving into the issues that matter to Indiana Hoosiers and families. So that in a nutshell is, and and it, 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 I can go on forever, but yes, it's it representation matters in regards to who's writing the legislation. 
we don't want cookie cutter legislation here in Indiana anymore. Right. And I think women would address those issues. Um, you know, I can rattle them off, uh, you know, all day long. It's access to health care for women and their families. It's right. um, it's addressing sexual violence against women. Uh, you'll recall last year and last two years, uh, the Indiana state legislature couldn't even get a bill passed to define the word consent such right. that rape could be prosecuted properly. Right. Uh, they couldn't get um, the pregnancy accommodation bill passed Let's so that pregnant women could have an extra break uh, or right. you know be able to sit down uh, right. while they're pregnant. Uh, right. uh, so the bill that passed says, oh, if you're pregnant and you have uh, physical problems at work, you can ask your employer for an accommodation, but they don't even really have to respond. Right. Uh, and this is, you know, these are the things that women legislators would not tolerate. Uh, they understand what it's like. Exactly. If you've been somebody who's carried a baby for nine months and knows what your body goes through, because it's very contradictory and hypocritical, if you ask me, because the health of the woman is the health of the baby. So what women are asking for is they're asking for an extra break, asking for the employer if they if their shift is something where they stand 50% of the time, maybe 25% of the time, or if they're on evening shifts, can you switch to a daytime shift? That's not unreasonable. And I find it very hypocritical because the Republican side, the GOP is supposed to be pro-life. Well, they're birthing life. So how can you not protect that? Because, you know, carrying an additional 10 pounds in your body and add the extra stuff on top of that is not an easy feat. Um, so right, well, and of course it does um, also uh, result in, you know, uh, imposing poverty on right. women, because that's what happens most often. Women who cannot stand on their feet, who are pregnant oh. for eight or 10 hours a day, uh, they and they don't get an accommodation, end up quitting. So right. now they're pregnant and they're unemployed. Uh, they right. can't get another job that quickly. No one's going to hire a, a woman who is eight months pregnant. And uh, and so really then they begin their journey of poverty. Right. So, um, so th again, these are issues that uh, women in the legislature would not tolerate. Right. So, um, so that's why this is important. Uh, and there's also, you know, equal pay for equal work. Um, right. The legislature has done nothing about that. Um, let's talk about abortion. Uh, geez, we have already a bill drafted in Indiana that is exactly like SB8 from Texas. So, you know, would women put up with that? I don't think so. No, no. And again, I find it a very hypocritical. Todd Rakita had said the sun won't set on Indiana because in terms of mass mandates, people need to be in vaccinations. People need to make their own medical decisions. Well, why is that not true for a woman? Simple question. You're saying that people, citizens, Hoosiers, you said Hoosiers need to be able to make the same medical decisions that impact their life. Why is that the same case for women? It's really the cut and dry. And it's very clear, women don't have equal rights according to the current GOP. That's correct. So, so and, and beyond um, all of these really specifically uh, uh, women-centered issues, there's education. Um, oh. Women uh, make up the majority of educational staff and um, are you know fighting for equal pay for that. Well, good pay at all. And uh, and those are you know uh, and getting good education you know Indiana invests very little in education and again I don't think women in the legislature would tolerate that ignorance um, as to the importance of education. 
We all know education is the stepping stone for choice in life. Whether you want to go off to a trade school, whether you want to go off to college, whether you want to be an apprentice, whatever it is, you need that education. That is the foundation. And what we have done is we've not made it a top priority. And it is impacting so many sectors of our society. For example, if you look at, you mentioned teacher pay. Indiana is low, ranked the, one of the lowest states in terms of paying teachers. As a result, you're not giving teachers an opportunity to stay in a career they potentially love because they have to choose a career over feeding their family. You see that very, the same thing happen in, we have the lack of uh, teachers right now. Indian is debating right now whether to lower the licensure requirements. So now you're saying we have a shortage, we don't have adequate education for our students, but you're actually gonna lower the bar now is what you're saying. And everybody else can come in and teach it. I was a teacher. I have my master's in education. Teaching is a skill. It's an art. It's a special person that enters the, the, the school systems. And we need to pay our teachers for the value that they, they bring to our families, our community, and society. Um, education in terms of funding education. They're not funding education. We all got the postcards sent around by the Republican legislators saying that they increased education by $1.9 billion. No, 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 no. That came from the American Rescue Plan. It came, that money was implemented into the Indiana state budget and it, it got into the education plan, which was great, but that was not something the GOP had deemed, had on their dockets, was ready to pass. We were in a dire situation in our education funding. That's another thing that's going on. Secondly, I'll add a, a third, I mean, third component I will add is when the American Rescue Plan and Build Back Better was starting to move forward and where was the administration going to place the money? They look at university and academics to analyze the opportunities out there to better and elevate everybody's situation. Manufacturing was a sector they looked at. Indiana used to be one of the top states in manufacturing. And Ball, um, Brookings Institute came out and said, sorry, Indiana is 10 years behind now. And when they completed the study, the one thing they pointed out to was education was not keeping up with the technology in the manufacturing sector and they pointed to school choice. Yes, if you wanna have school choice, but what are you doing to our school systems in light of that? So we have to really take a step back and peel back the layers and really look what's happening in our education. And women see that every day with their children, when they're sitting down to study with them, when school um, parent-teacher conferences come around and the teacher is so overloaded because they have too many students, the parents can't get an opportunity to speak with the student, with the teacher. There's a multitude of things that women see firsthand. And if women were in the legislature, they'd be able to dress those head on because they experience it 24 seven. So I could go on for a long time. I know there are so many things. We haven't even talked about childcare, but I anyway, we'll, we'll skip over that because we want to get to what, you know, what we're doing. How are we going to get more democratic women elected to the Indiana state legislature? So, wow. um, so uh, last year uh, with our 25 women for 2020 organization, uh, we, I, you know, I went around the state, I tried to recruit women, I was on the phone all the time working, trying to get women to run. Um, women did run, you know, not because of me, uh, you know, but just because they knew that it was the right thing to do and they had uh, courage to do it. And so uh, they did and uh, our group supported them in, in any way that they needed. 
Um, we didn't give them money. We wish we could have. We didn't have money, but we provided, you know, 24-7 uh, access uh, to give advice, to counsel. Uh, we provided networking uh, meetings all the time, uh, which I think most of the candidates really felt like was the biggest benefit from this mm -hmm. organization was their ability to be with other Democratic women running for the state legislature um, three times a week and right. share and learn and support each other. Uh, that gave those candidates so much, so much strength, and uh, and it was a wonderful experience. So, um, so that's what we did last year. Uh, we ended up working with twenty nine terrific Democratic women running for the state legislature. Uh, unfortunately, um, only two of them are now in the state house, uh, but we are back at it. Uh, we learned a lot. So, yes. uh, and and as I kind of alluded to earlier, one of the important things we learned was that um, our Democratic women candidates were not getting the support they needed at the grassroots level of the Democratic yes. Party. So tell us what we're doing now about that. Yes, so basically at the end of the election, you and I got together and for a couple of days, I don't know how many, it was close to a week, we really kind of dissected where were the opportunities? Where where can we dive in to support women? And one of them was on the grassroots level. Because what is apparent across the state is the Indiana State Democratic Party, the structure needs an overhaul. It let you know, it, we have to be honest with ourselves so we can move forward. Um, it, so when we did that, candidates need to step back. When candidates run, they need the support of precinct chairs. Precinct chairs is the closest level of the infrastructure, the person the closest to the voters. And that precinct chair is supposed to know what's happening in the community, know the community leaders, know the issues that matter, um, have things ready to roll, have a foundation built so when candidates start to run, they can turn to precinct chairs and say, hey, let's strategize how we're going to create, uh, come in with our campaign and create change for everybody in the community. That piece is not there. So what we did, we said, okay, let's step back. How can we fill that gap? So we created a three-part series called um, Precinct Chair Training, really laying out like the party structure, what a campaign cycle is so so that people can plug in and then going through all the nuts and bolts of the roles and responsibilities of a precinct chair and then adding at the third part some tools some things that will help make that process and your chairpersonship an opportunity to be successful um and what it's also come out of this is really also a, a two-prong approach is people are jumping on these trainings to not only potentially think about running for precinct chair, which is happening in May. We'll talk about the filing date in a minute. But they're saying, hey, I want to learn about the process because I know it takes a village. Precinct chairs need a team of people around them to help the work and be successful. So the more and more people know the process that a candidate goes through to get elected, the more they can volunteer and plug in their skill set to help the whole cause. So it's helping on so many different levels. And a lot of women are stepping up and taking part of the trainings. We There was other organizations that are also seeing the need and had some panel discussions with current precinct chairs. The Nasty Women's did that, which was great. It gave women an opportunity to say, hey, what is it like? Kind of get some preliminary questions answered and then jump into some training. So it is definitely a needed piece of the equation and that foundation needs to be built for everybody to be successful. Um, I cannot stress how important that is because what's happening is the, the other piece that we're adding to the precinct chair training is, okay, now you're going to run. Now you're precinct chair, but let's keep the network together. Let's keep the groups together so we can support each other because learning how to build up this infrastructure is could be a new skill for some people. We all need to be in it together. 
Um, a lot of people will ask, I could go on forever, what were some of the key successes prior to the end of, of us launching our strategy for 2021? We reached out to many different organizations. When you reach out to anybody in Georgia, they will say coalition building, coming together as communities. You cannot do it alone. It wasn't just Stacey Abrams. And to put a highlight there, it, she, she's been in the work for 10 years. This is not something that voter registration just had happened to her one morning and she woke up and said, this is what needs to be done. She pulled back the layers. And for Indiana, one of our layers is, is um, precinct chairs. We don't have as a strong issue on voter registration. We have a voter turnout issue, which precinct chairs can help and get into the community. Oh, that's excellent. So yeah, and um, and you um, mentioned the coalition building, and yes. uh, I am so proud of the Democratic Women's Coalition that has emerged from um, from the work of us and other great uh, Democratic women in Indiana, and have put out a, a couple of uh, events so far, and uh, just this notion of bringing all the Democratic women uh, in Indiana together. Uh, mm -hmm. We've had an explosion in interest among Indiana women in politics, uh, which was evidenced um, by the growth of the Indiana Nasty Women uh, group. Mm -hmm. And those women are ready to go. Um, and they are women who are excited and most who, who have not been involved in politics before. So this is, you know, really wonderful. It's a beautiful thing that these women are out there. They're ready to talk about candidates. They're ready to step up and run. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, uh, of most of our 29 candidates were first-time candidates. And yes. that was wonderful. And that is how we build a bench. Uh, even all those women who didn't win are now experienced, seasoned candidates. Uh, they, they, have, they know how to run a campaign. They mm -hmm. learn so much. And that means they'll be much better the next time. Absolutely. So, you know, it takes, a, it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of time uh, to become a great candidate, to understand how it all works and get out there and do it. So we've, you know, so we're building this bench and we're really excited about all of the women who are just newly interested in politics. Yes. So, so that is um, a terrific thing. And of course, we should mention that we still are uh, out there trying to recruit women ah. and help women uh, decide to run. Uh, that is one of the things we do that I think women really need. They need someone, you know, they can really talk to in um, an honest way to evaluate whether they should run. Uh, you know, talk, let's talk about the demographics of your district. Let's talk about who else is running. Let's talk about the Republican incumbent. Uh, and let's talk about how, you know, what strategies you can use to succeed. So, uh, so we are still doing that. And, um, and we're very excited to see uh, several already uh, great Democratic women stepping up to run. So, um, so tell us, um, tell and then of course, we're doing this podcast. Um, and that was a result of the lesson we learned Right. last year, which was that it was really hard to get our candidates' messages to anyone who was not already going to vote for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, we had I, to, you know, we really had to face the fact that Indiana was a dearth of political information uh, and education. So so we did this podcast. So, um, and I know that this is a, a topic that's um, close to your heart about <laughs> informing and Indiana's lack of information. So, um, so there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> there's a lot there. So, you know, I want to circle back to one thing you said, because when we dissected and really stepped back, because we decided we have like this six, you know, pillar strategy of what needs attention. And, you know, 
this infrastructure, which diving into the precinct chair trainings, you mentioned, you know, coalition building because we're part of, we're working with Destiny Wells, who's been charged as the deputy director of coalition um, from the state. Mike has asked her to be chair up this position and to lead the charge here. And she's and doing an awesome job. Amazing job, an yeah. amazing job. Um, the first panel discussion we had was just bringing women in from other elected officials across the state to talk about their experiences. We also brought in, the next one was organizing women win to show different ways that women are organizing across the state. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, one thing that, you know, the podcast here is another strategy because we have to combat the news desert we're facing because you've got the 360 overview of the news coming down on people and we're, we don't have that local news, the local information. And of course you add in the equation, Facebook, Facebook is, 71% of Americans get their news from Facebook. Is that a news source? No, it's not. And we all know what's happening with the, the algorithm. We're educating people on how to combat disinformation because disinformation is really hurting democracy. There's so much to unpack there. So when you step back and you say, how can we elevate women in the process and get more women involved is start to educate people on all these factors that are really affecting our success of getting women into politics. So what we've done is created all these trainings. So the more you know, you can say, hey, I can plug in there. Or hey, an opportunity to, to contribute in this way because I have a skill set in, um, in disinformation. People get news from the social media. Well, I can write an op-ed because I'm a really good writer and I can educate in that way. So there's, So our goal right now in terms of building up candidates is really spending a lot of our resources on building the infrastructure, doing the podcasts, uh, investing in data, and that's a huge loss that we have here in the state of Indiana. We're spending a lot of time investing in the right tools for our candidates so they can have access to voting, text banking, phones, the actual phone numbers that actually work. And it's not just about phone numbers and addresses. You hear the word data all the time. Um, and I want to step back and explain what that is. Data is is understanding where the voters are at, understanding what matters to the voters, um, understanding that, you know, um, in the rural areas right now, economy is one of the number one issues that matters to them. The rural farmers, they're not against sustainable farming. You know, they really are not. But the, the messaging coming down from Fox News is anything associated with the Paris Climate Accord is is taboo. Um, but when you start talking to people one on one, it really you, you find out what really matters to them. So understanding that and helping candidates understand that when you say, hey, it actually aligns with their platform. It's really what they're trying to push for in our state house. So being able to help candidates in that way is is really important and being able to give them access to this. So there's so much that, that needs to be unpacked there. <laughs> there is, but, and I think, um, I, I really wanna reiterate that point because I think that is so important that Indiana farmers, they understand sustainability. They understand yep. the importance of it. They want their grandchildren to be able to farm on that land. And they understand how climate change is affecting that um, sustainability of farming yep. in Indiana. Um, and uh, like you said, they are bombarded with this disinformation uh, about climate change, about sustainability, uh, that it is a socialist communist idea to talk about climate change and to do anything about it. And that is just really, um, you know, just such a disservice to, uh, to farmers and to Indiana voters in, in rural areas. 
So I, I just think that is such an important issue. And, um, and I, you know, I know that our candidates will be able to work with farmers. There are so many great sustainable farming practices that are out there that, you know, that help protect the, the soil, you know, and, and care will carry on the farming for generations instead yeah. of really just wasting it right. um, and and for the current it, time. Absolutely. And that goes to one of the things when I look at our pillars, I always have it up here on our board is education and messaging, because when we start educating each other on the issues that really matter and messaging in a way that comes back to values, what we all believe in and get away from all this noise, we actually realize we're on the same page more than we are not. So this is one of the things that we're really working with. We've teamed up with Building Bridges for America. They do some amazing grassroots training. Yes. Because when you, again, when we step back and had our meltdown of like what worked and what didn't over the 2020 election cycle was candidates need volunteers and they need people that understand what's kind of happening so they can, the candidate can go and be with the voter because the number one thing they need is voter contact, you know, have a conversation with the voter and have a pool of volunteers over here who are ready to roll to do some text banking or phone banking or voter registration. And so we've teamed up with other organizations to help with that. And one of the things that we've teamed up with in addressing is messaging, because people, um, when they start talking about values or what they really want, like I said, I can't say that enough, that we're more on the same page than we're not. And teaching people how to have the conversations because we've gotten to this place of us against them. Right. You know, it's a super divide. And it's, it's scary. It is scary it to engage scary. somebody Absolutely. in a conversation. I mean, you're afraid to talk to the person standing in line next to you at the grocery store, right. you know, for fear they'll not like you and, you know, and start yelling. Right. Uh, and so, and, and I agree that uh, Building Bridges for America is right on target in trying to help people learn in this environment how to engage um, people in conversation uh, that talks about policy and values um, right. in a positive way and right. non-confrontational way. Right. So, because we have to do it, we have right. to do it. We have to find some way to combat the disinformation that is out there. And I right. also want you to talk too about the disinformation training that that you're working on. Uh, that's yes. coming up. That's uh, you know that we'll be having that in the next few months. Um, but I want you to talk about that too. So, sorry I interrupted and you hit you. Were no, uh, that's really good. Training. So. It goes back to the values because, you know, um, actually our first, we're going to be running that a couple times. Um, we have the first one next Thursday running for navigating disinformation. In a nutshell, what that really talks about is Facebook. Let's be honest, 71% of Americans get their news from Facebook. And to give you a little background, and you really need to jump in on this training, is in 2009, we went from Facebook used to be the wall. We remember if we all, any of the old bees on here knows that the Facebook used to call it the wall. And what came up on the wall was chronological, whoever posted the most recent. Well, they switched the algorithm for marketing purposes because their whole strategy is about engagement and growth and advertisement. And the only way they can get the dollars is the more you're engaged, the more they grow, the more dollars they get. So to do that, they changed the algorithm. When they changed the algorithm, they took choice away from you. As soon as you take choice away from you, it becomes a new, what we, what they actually are fighting is their news feed and whether or not they are a news feed, but they're acting like one. But um, to kind of bring it all home to understand that component, what they're fighting against is under section 230, it protects them because they're not a news organization. If they don't claim themselves the news organizations, they're not responsible. They are not responsible on section 230 for anything that's said on 
on on Facebook that regards to disinformation. Right. They're just the platform. They're not just the, the platform. They're not the writer. Exactly. So, so right. So they they've been able to avoid any liability for the just crazy stuff that exactly exactly. And you know when you really start diving into it, this is a little bit of teaser. Um, the original founders of Facebook, you know, not the Mark Zuckerberg and whatnot, but the engineers, they all went to Stanford School of Psychology. Okay, they sent their, they went there on purpose to learn how to train people. Think about your puppy when you're training your puppy and it's repetitive behavior. That's why they come back for the treats. That's what they're doing on Facebook. They're they're really trying to get into your psyche about why you're so addicted. Um, and as a result of that. The next thing that they've done on purpose is created these clusters where we all interact with the same people because um, in 2018 they said, okay, you've got us. Do you understand what we're doing? We're going to make it easier to talk to your friends and family. Well, that actually created a worse dynamic. So when we're on Facebook and we want to talk to people or say something, it becomes this like, oh, what did they just post? And it creates this environment of disinformation. And right. To really why this is so important for us to step back as a community and get in there is this has been a strategy of Russia. They can't beat us on the military front and they know that. So their strategy is to dismantle our democracy and they're using Facebook to do it. Right. So and I, would, I want to add one little point about that is that um, as part of that psychology, they have learned and it makes sense that people will stay engaged if they're emotionally, um, you know, stimulated. Right. So right. if if there's something on there that pisses you off or makes you mad or is you know cute you know little puppies then you will stay on and so uh, so they've really kind of engineered uh, the feed uh, for things that are emotionally volatile right. uh, so uh, so that's why so many things come through that are you know crazy angry uh, or what a wild outlandish allegation um, you know you've seen the headlines on there. You know, right. somebody reacted terribly to this or somebody did this terrible thing. And, you know, and of course, you know, it's, it's, it's once in a while you go, oh, my God, let me look at that. And you look at it and it's like, what? So they so they got out of their car and left their car because they didn't like something. You know, that's not, you know, it's just a it's a trick, you know, it's, a, you know, clickbait is what they call it. But anyway, yeah. there's, you know, this is the dominant uh, news feed style. Uh, of something that's, you know, vitriol and anger, uh, because that keeps people looking. Well, they've also gone so far as they actually call it something. They want it to be twitchy. They want a reaction. Oh. So the actual thing they call it is MSI, meaningful social interaction, but define meaningful. Oh. For them, it has to be, <laughs> exactly. It makes you yeah. positive, what's meaningful? Um, yeah. That's their whole strategy is they have to create an algorithm that creates meaningful social interaction but they want it to be twitchy it makes you react so those sentiment reactions are actually driving the algorithm and that's what's engagement which is their whole strategy their business model is built off engagement growth and advertisement and what can they do to plug into those three elements that increases their dollars great okay and now i want you to talk about the cure um, and one of the excellent cures that you talk about in your training is the stop, drop, and go. Okay. So, so tell okay. us about that. Yeah. So when you step back and we kind of alluded to it, I kind of gave a little bit of overview that we've got these clusters. Okay. The algorithm learns what you like, what you do, and they've clustered your habits into like, they, and they feed you. 
Okay. And as a result of that, you're in this cycle and you're in this echo chamber. You've heard people mention this echo chamber. But what I like to do is if we really want to educate each other on some things that are fact-based, what we can do is I go on to uh, Todd Young and Braun's social media page and I see something. Let's take the deficit right now. There's a big argument with them that's saying that, you know, um, Democrats are irresponsible with deficit spending. Well, let's step back and really look at where this deficit spending came from. It's past bills. It's the Trump administration rose the, de rose the de uh, you know, raised the deficit $7.2 billion. Okay. They did it three times. He raised the deficit. He's in the top three presidents and the other two presidents were Lincoln and Bush during wartime. Okay, so that's usually when deficits are actually, you know, the larger spending. So we need to get in there with some facts. So what you do is you find some really good, reliable sources. I like to go to Fact Checker. I like to use the AP or Rutgers. And what you do is you find an article that, that actually spells out the actual truth. And you drop, you take a quote from that article that highlights it. And you drop it into the feed. With and the link. With the link, yeah, you drop the link to the article, you cut and paste a quote from the article, you drop that in, and you drop a link to the article. Why do you do that? You're not going to change the mind whoever posts what they posted, but there are a lot of people reading those posts, and they will click on that link. So what you're doing is you're breaking up their algorithm. The more they start clicking on different resources, the more the algorithm will give them different opportunities to read different things. And don't argue. Don't spend the time arguing. Don't get into our debates. Just say, hey, have you ever thought of this? Or, hmm, I've read something else. I'm not sure where it, it, what you're saying is true. I wouldn't even go as far as saying that. I would just say, hmm, have you thought of this? Here's another way of looking at it. Actual more facts have come out about this issue. Just, you know, take the quote with the link, drop it in there and go. Don't argue, don't debate. Your goal is to break up their algorithms, not debate the issue. So, right. um, and, it, it works. and it's hard, isn't it? I know it's hard. you go in there and I want to like, you know, you know, and, you know, and uh, just rant um, at people who put that stuff out there. And of course, at those and the people who are elected and put that stuff out there. Right. Um, but you're right. The best way to do it is to, uh, stop, drop and go. And I mm -hmm. love that. Um, so so I, I hope that we can get um, an army of uh, great people out there. Uh, breaking up algorithms. Uh, because as you said, um, when you're on Facebook and when you click on uh, different sources of information, uh, they keep feeding you. Um, you know, Facebook will continue to feed you this your preferences. Yeah. Uh, so you will continue to get it. And that's, of course, what creates the echo chamber. Right. Uh, and so, and that is what we saw last year uh, with our candidates. We could not break through those echo chambers. We could not reach people who right. already didn't like our candidates. And right. that, again, is you know one of the strategies to address that is working with precinct committee chairs uh, because Absolutely. you have to get underneath that stream of information that's coming uh, over the internet. Right. And the only way to do that, well, not the only way, one important way is to find a way to talk to people face to face um, yes. and be well trained in how to engage uh, right. voters. So yeah. um, so that is one uh, one way to do that. Right. So, I would and, add to it's it's really important to note, too, because as we start down our trainings to get ready for the 2022 cycle is, you know, you know, you mentioned again, you know, our goal here is to build an infrastructure and tools that 
are accessible to all our candidates, you know, because they don't have time to spend to do all this. We're going to be giving them almost like serving them up. Like here, you can use this for social media. And one of the things that is really why this is so important in terms of really everybody understanding how to use social media, the number one thing is voter contact. But we do have to use social media. And the way you really do use social media correctly is what we call paid social media, when they actually put out some advertisements on their candidacy and their platform, and organic reach. Organic reach is us. It's you and I talking about our candidates and talking about the issues and values that matter to us. Um, one cannot live without the other because that's how you get your message out. And what we know is during the election last year, Facebook decided a week before the election and then four weeks after, I think it extended into December 5th or 12th in that area, people were very upset about the Georgia runoff because of what Facebook did. They cut off paid political advertisement during that time period. Okay. And they did that because the volatility of that election. We all know what we lived through. Well, and, and they the obvious disinformation that was just being Exactly. It was the disinformation. Republican incumbents. Right. But what they but Duke University came out with a study very recently as they said, OK, that was shut off. What happened to disinformation during that time? And what they realized it did not it did not did not did not tamper down because of that organic reach part. It didn't it didn't. And, and what they also discovered was higher level campaigns could actually navigate a little bit better. You know, they had resources, you know, like. I was part of the Biden Digital Coalition. They had their other arms to help them with that. That's what we were. We were the organic reach. But a smaller campaign doesn't have that. It's they don't have the bandwidth. So that's why we step in and help them as community members, as precinct chairs closer to the voter to get around that noise. And as a group here, as we support our candidates, we'll be investing in a platform to be able to monitor all that stuff for them. So they'll be able to wake up in the morning and stay ahead of the messaging so they're not on defense all the time. So um, yeah, that's gonna be an important element. And the more people we have out there, um, it's really important because this is a strategy of the Republicans. I wanna leave you with this if we before we move on to another topic. Cambridge Analytica, this has been the Republican strategy. When you step back and we all heard about Cambridge Analytica and what Facebook did, what people don't connect the dots with, they just might not be aware. Steve Bannon was the vice president of Cambridge Analytica was part of the mission, okay? And some of the people in the grant money that came from Russia, okay? And the, per, the, the person working on the data was a, was a gentleman from, um, from Russia. So when you start connecting the dots and you know Russia wants to dismantle our democracy and then you know that we've got on record and he said it again this week at a conference or some kind of meeting he was at, Steve Bannon said, you have to dismantle it before you can build it up into the vision you want. So this is the way what they're doing. And we just have to say, no, democracy and our rights matter more. I mean, when you talk about patriotism, dismantling democracy, that doesn't make sense to me when the DOP are, are coming at dismantling democracy in this way. Um, so um, we need Excellent. more women. Excellent fight. point. Really yeah. And it, it is frightening. And I, I hate yeah. to um, stray too far away from Indiana politics because I really like, you know, I really like to focus on that. But it is impacted by this international uh, exactly. you know, I hate to say cabal, but there really is a there really is a, a movement, uh, and you can see it in other countries, other countries um, whose democracies were not as strong as ours, um, where governments have just 
shut down parliament and said, we're going to, you know, we're going to redo this in, you know, in my vision. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, and that, and it's happening all over the world, right. but in Indiana, that's where we can really make a difference. Exactly. And um, so um, we've talked a lot about what we can do and what candidates need and um, how we can get them elected. And so I guess, you know, we're, we're out of time, but I just want to kind of wrap up by saying, um, you know, we need you women. <laughs> we need women to run. We're here to help, uh, even at the precinct committee level. Um, you know, no one's ever, you know, so few people even know what that position is. And we are so um, on fire to get the message out about precinct committee chairs and the work they can do and how we can help them too. We, yes. You know, that wasn't on our agenda last year. Um, last year, we were helping just um, candidates running for the state legislature. Yeah. And this year, we realized that this is too important. Uh, and this is the year that they are elected. So it's every four years, precinct committee chairs are elected on the primary ballot in May. Um, and so this is this is the year. And, and I have said it a million times that if we could just get 5,176 outstanding people to run for and take a precinct committee chair position in Indiana, um, we could, we could change, we could change everything. We really could. We could change everything. This is the biggest opportunity we have to Mm -hmm. change uh, the structure of the Democratic Party into a powerhouse. Absolutely. uh, For candidates. So, um, so I, I just, I've said that a million times and I still feel like I could say it another million times. So it's so can. You can keep saying it's so important because when you look at that piece of the equation, having, you know, having really strong precinct chairs and precinct committees is really important because that position helps navigate and dismantle all the things we just talked about because it right. increases voter contact. It helps with the messaging. It helps get around disinformation. It helps with coalition building. So that one piece is really pivotal to, you know, plugging in a gap that we're really experiencing. Um, I can't say enough about exactly what you said about the value. Currently, for example, in St. Joseph County, we have um, 27 open precinct chair position chairs that are sitting open, and we have 121 pre- vice chair positions open. Right, right. So it's so, so that's- And let me, and I would like to say this, if people listening don't know who their precinct committee chair is, because everyone should have one, if you don't know who that is, then you need to run. Uh, because that is such a common response that I get. Um, well, I, do I have a precinct committee chair? Who is my precinct committee chair? Um, and they have a t- hard time finding out, which is, of course, another problem. Um, so, uh, so if you don't know who your precinct committee chair is, uh, or if you have not seen your precinct committee chair, because that, that person should have knocked on your door uh, at some point in the last four years, uh, if you have not seen your precinct committee chair and or if you don't even know who your precinct committee chair is, you should run and we'll yes. help you. Give us a call. We'll help you. Uh, yes. The training is really great. It's a three three part series. It's so thorough. And um, and we're here to help. We're here to support you all, all yeah. along the way. Yeah. So yes. we're in the middle right. of um, a training series right now. We just had part two last night. We will have part three next Wednesday night. But there's another time we're going to roll out another series right before Thanksgiving. And based on popular demand, which it's happening, we will try to squeeze in one more before the holidays because the deadline, the opening for filing is January 5th and it goes to February 4th, I believe. Right. 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 
So, so and it's a really simple, simple process to sign right. up to run. It's very easy. And we can help you with that, with the forms. And, you know, it's a one page form, uh, very right. simple. And um, you, you, you don't have to have a huge budget uh, to run. Uh, it's, you know, you just really have to contact people. We can help you get the list and we can help you uh, say, you know, figure out what to say to people. Uh, right. And once you're elected, we're going to help you do the work. Uh, we're right. going to provide resources. Yeah. So I'm very and, excited and, about that. And we can have fun too, because this is about getting to know our neighbors. This is about elevating our community. And this is what is about elevating issues that matter to your community. Because we know that things that are happening in, you know, St. Joseph County might not be the same thing happening in Johnson County or the same issues that need to be addressed are environmentally or farming, or there's some contamination of water issues coming up across the state. Those things yes. need to be addressed. And we need to start electing people that are going to focus the issues that matter here to the state of Indiana, not cookie cutter legislation writ written by a think tank in Washington, D.C. because they're trying to change our dismantle our democracy. That doesn't make sense. Right. Very good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Um, this was uh, really a great conversation. And um, and uh, I think the work that you're doing is just phenomenal. So uh, and we're, we're Indiana is, is lucky to have you. Um, so a loss for Massachusetts, gain for Indiana. So well, I'm all right. kind of comfortable thinking they're okay. They're pretty blue right now. So yeah, yeah. So and that's, and that's important. I, you know, I certainly have uh, over the years considered moving to a bluer place, and then said, you know, geez, uh, they don't need me there. They, you know, they need me here. Yeah. So um, so I'm I'm proud to be doing my work here in Indiana, even though you know people pick on us all the time. Yeah, so, we're gonna get right. there. We're gonna get there. Well, thank oh, you. Very so much. I love that. I love that optimism. All right, great. So um, so hopefully we'll do an update um further down the road as we get closer to filing time, and mm -hmm. um and we'll be able to um provide a platform for these great democratic women who are running for office, and and we'll be able to support our precinct committee chairs. So uh, I'm very excited about all this work. Yeah, and I leave with one final thought. You know, um, I do love sports and my favorite sport is soccer. Um, we're Liverpool fans here. And I think I said this last night when I was speaking, um, their theme song is, uh, you will not be alone. And I think you need to really hear that because running for office can be intimidating whatever level. And we're here to support and build that network with you and to have that outlet that you won't have to go down this journey by yourself. Um, it's not easy. We can't, we're not going to sugarcoat it, but it can be a lot of fun, especially when you don't have to do it by yourself. All right, great. I do not want to do anything to, uh, to comment on that because that was just beautiful. So, all right, great. Until next time. Thanks, Mary. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye now.